Welcome back to the Maluli Asset Podcast. This is your host, Casey Maluli. I'm here with Brendan and Tom this week, and this is episode 365. Wow. So you could listen to one of our podcasts every day of the year, and I really think that that would be a good way to spend your time. Time well spent. 24-7, 365, MAM. We're always on. Let's do it. Did you guys know that the S&P 500 has officially doubled off of the pandemic low in March of 2020. That really is remarkable because it's only been 16 months. Yeah, we're recording this in in the middle of July. Right. So I think the only other time the market uh, rebounded off the bottom like for for a double like this is uh it was during like the uh great recession i think going going back that far like i i don't think that this has happened this quickly uh very much if ever in history yeah this is the second fastest double for the s&p 500 index in history so you're you're spot on with that which is pretty remarkable because when you consider you know if you were investing in 2008 and 2009 that seemed very dramatic i mean that the way the market came roaring back in in the middle of 2009 but even this beats that yeah it just goes to show you know we've said it we've kind of beat the drum how things seemed so bad last year but then they came right back and if you miss a double in the stock market that's kind of hard to hard to come back from but it's kind of been an interesting rebound especially of late we've seen some headlines around that it's been fewer stocks leading the way back up and there was a statistic recently that less than 60% of stocks in the S&P 500 have been able to climb above their 50-day moving average so what does that say to you guys well first let's just take apart 50-day moving average that's 10 weeks of data so we go back about two and a half months when we're talking about a 50-day moving average and historically people people who want to be neurotic about stocks uh, look at the 50-day moving average and the 200-day moving average which is 20 weeks and that works out to be Help me with my math. That's how yeah, many it's, months? It's about it's, half a year. Yeah. Yeah. Of trading. So, yeah. It's about a half a year. So the uh, the general idea is if a stock is above its 50-day moving average, that means it's moving up in price. It's got some positive momentum in the short term. Right. I'd say, too, that uh, you, you look at it, the term that everybody will throw around, and, and they have been lately, is just breadth in terms of, uh, you know, the percent of stocks above their 50-day moving average should indicate how much participation is happening with you know with market hitting new highs how many stocks are participating in that uh, and and helping to to cause that and that's kind of a shift in in what we saw for uh, for many months probably from like this time last year through about April of this year in terms of participation being better than that meaning some sectors uh, that had been laggards uh, for a pretty long period of time, like banks and energy, like the everybody was partying for yeah. many months last year, and that's, that's kind of uh, switched, uh, at least in these last couple of months. But at different, at different times throughout the 12 months, we saw different 
groups and different sectors and different styles all come in or out of favor. So is that is that the same thing where it's more participation is better and less part participation is not a good sign for the market? Or, or is it that kind of too black and white for it and it's kind of, you know, it kind of depends on the situation? It depends. And I wanted to share some stats that kind of relate to this from uh, a blog post that Michael Batnick at Red Holtz Wealth Ma Management put together this week. Um, so he, he shared kind of you know similar similar storyline in the sense that uh, uh, he said that since the early 2000s we've never had an all-time high on the S&P 500 without at least 50% of stocks being above their 50-day moving average that happened four times in June and that was like the first time in wow. two decades that that had gone down and uh, so Michael said that he would put this into the interesting but not useful category because he also said that uh, it, it would probably be true that if we were on the other end of the spectrum with greater than 90% of stocks above their 50-day moving average making highs along alongside the S&P 500 that there would be another group of people saying this is as good as it gets like you should get defensive this is this is not a good sign so I think that you can look to stats like percent of stocks above the 50-day moving average to kind of confirm whatever you want it to be. Sure. And when you see uh, the breadth shrinking, meaning only a few stocks are really carrying the market, I, I don't know, maybe it's just, you know, Murphy's Law, but it always seems that those are not my stocks. Like, <laughs> those are not my, my guys who are carrying the flag to move ahead. Well, it's interesting. Well, we should just own those stocks then. <laughs> oh. If only we could identify them in, uh, in right. Yeah, beforehand. I was saying that sarcastically. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that actually does lead to another point that comes up is that uh, people turn on the TV and they see that the market is setting new highs and then they rip open their statement and they see, we actually lost money in, in June. Like, how is that possible? So, yeah, we have to be able to explain that you don't own the 30 stocks in the Dow Jones in the exact same... Right. Uh, components in the same in the same ratios. Nor nor do you want to. Right. Right. right? You you don't want you don't, sure you might want that when it's hitting new highs and your account isn't. But you know back at the end of last year, things like value and small caps and international stocks were all ahead of things like large cap U.S. and tech, and uh, and so it paid to be a little diversified then. And so you got to remember that these different areas are not all going to hit new highs simultaneously. And it's all right. It doesn't mean that anything's broken or wrong uh, or, or really anything needs to be done as a result. Yeah. We can have bad breadth and the market overall doesn't have to be poor because if the stocks that are continuing to make new highs make up 20% of the index, like some of the names in the S&P 500 do right now, that's how you get that kind of divergence. And that can continue for long periods of time and not matter. So I don't think you can take a stat like this and say, it's time to get defensive or it's time to get, you know, more aggressive. I just, again, interesting. And it's, it's always cool to look under the hood of what's happening in the market, but I don't know that there's anything to yeah. do as a result of that for somebody who has, you know, a reasonable investment portfolio already. Yeah. Interesting. Not useful. I, I love that line. Yeah. That's a, a how, many, line. how many things that you read on a daily basis in relation to investing fall into that category? 98%. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, almost everything. If yeah. you're doing it right, a lot. Yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to kind of get into 
what it takes for an index to double or for someone's account to double because I think that that is kind of not what people think it might be. Yeah. So the S&P was down in March of 2020 last year, 30%? 35. 35, 40%. Right, right. So could you explain how the, the math works behind that? So I'm not going to go through the entire times tables. Yeah, like, please, please don't. Just like the SparkNotes okay. version. The SparkNotes version is if your investment or the market goes down 10%, you need 11% to get back to even. So if uh, the market or your investment goes down 20%, you need 25%. This is just to get back to even. So when a market goes down 35%, you're gonna need, uh, I think the number is something in the high 40s, just to get back to even, to double, you're going to need Pretty much what the Nasdaq did last in the last 12 months, which is again ballpark 80. Which I know you've been having conversations with our clients about about that and kind of how markets need to digest and and take a breather from those kind of moves. You know what? We're using the same analogy now with housing prices, and I don't want to make predictions about things I know nothing about. But you look at what's happening with housing prices, and you say. Wow, it can't continue to go up like it has over the last year or so. Um, that's true. It doesn't mean that it may go down and give some of this back. It may just flatline for a while. Same thing with stocks that I've seen over 35 years, where when we have an advance like we have, everybody remembers how the market fell apart in a few short weeks in February and March of 2020. But just just go from March 23rd forward and look at this. We have not had a 10% pullback in 15 or 16 months. And I mean, we know historically that that happens on average about once a year and the data goes back for 90 years. So we're going to need to have some time where the market just digests some of these gains and just takes a breather. Mm-hmm. I think it's very reasonable to consider that, you know, we may be uh, jogging in place yeah. for a while. I, I think that's a possible outcome at this stage of the game. So, Bren, would you throw the math behind a double into the same category as interesting but not necessarily useful? Yeah, I think just to share my feeling, like the time, the times table that. Tom was referring to in terms of like, here's how much you need to recover from this percent loss. I have a little point of contention with that because it's normally attached to an article, blog post, or other piece of content that then is telling you how you can trade better to avoid those losses in the first place if you will just pay the low price of $19.95 per month or some ridiculous bullcrap like that. And, uh, Yikes. Yeah, I just, I don't appreciate that. And I don't think that it's helpful to investors. And I think that it's uh, slimy, slimy content that it's usually attached to. While the math is the math, not disputing it, numbers are the numbers. I'm just saying, like, if it's attached to something telling you how you can make and never lose money by trading in a system or so, just, just stop. I, I will say that I picked up that line about, you know, if the market goes down or your investment goes down 10%, you need 11% to recover and that whole thing. 
I got that from the Lehman Pitch Book. Hmm. Oh God! Yeah. So you know, <laughs> enough, the, enough are, said. Yeah, these <laughs> are the things that uh, you know. These were the tools of the trade. That's 30, how you. Thirty yeah. years ago, you, you can use that sort of information to make people act now and do That's things right. that are, you know, yeah. uh, maybe not in their maybe not in their best interest or stuff that you don't need to do to be successful as an investor. Yeah. So. Yeah, the numbers are the numbers, but I don't I don't like where I see those uh, stats trotted out. Yeah, it's it's not a it's not an indication that you have to rip up the script. It's more an indication of hey, let's be patient. These things happen, right? Yeah, I feel like the implication there is that like even like a ten percent loss is like so much work, to, and like the, the the whole idea of like getting back to even in the first place is just like. For somebody who has an investment portfolio that is attached to a financial plan that has like a reason for existing, like we just said, a 10% pullback is going to happen in the market on average every single year. And like it's not something that you need to be worried about recovering from. Like you're, you're going to recover from it as long as you don't do something crazy to yourself right. in the interim. I do, I do have one wish as we're talking about all of these things, and it's. Every now and then we'll get a phone call when the markets are down. We'll get a phone call from someone and they'll say, you know, a few weeks ago my account was worth X and now it's X minus fill in the dollar amount. Like I just lost X amount of dollars. Well, no. I mean, if we didn't sell right at the very tippy top, then these are paper gains. These are things that are going to be very squishy and they're going to, you know, They'll be higher tomorrow or they'll be less tomorrow, but those are not hard and fast numbers that you can take to the bank. So just to piggyback on that, another another stat from the post I was referring to earlier by Michael Batnick said, uh, and I was kind of surprised by this, but I'm, I'm trusting in him that the numbers are right, that since 2007, the S&P 500 had, has, has had 321 new all-time highs. If you think about that period of time and the number of highs... And we have 252 trading days a year and over over like the better part of two decades, like 15, 15 years or so there, uh, 321 new all time highs. So if you're going to anchor to the high watermark in your account all the time, you are going to be disappointed so, so, so much yeah. right. all the time. You're going to be disappointed. It may not feel that way in a year like last year or 2019 where, you know, the market Aside from the obvious uh, downturn, you know, when the whole pandemic started, uh, you know, pretty good. And maybe, I mean, I know I know that uh, we, we haven't had a down month on the S&P 500 technically since uh, November of last year. And so it feels like it just goes up and up forever. And maybe, maybe it feels like there are more all-time highs than that uh, of late. But the numbers are the numbers. Again, like that's you're not going to have new all-time highs in your account all the time, and you're going to be perpetually disappointed if you're going to anchor to that sort of stuff. Yeah, definitely important to to keep that in mind and to keep that context in mind when you're reviewing your accounts. And like you said, not to anchor that to that high watermark because, I mean, all-time highs are all-time highs. They're not your average high or your expected high. This is the best it's ever been. Until, until now, it's not the forever high either. Yeah, right. forever. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I firmly believe that there's plenty of people who go in and they'll check their account and they'll print that. They'll print that page and they'll keep that page mm-hmm. on their desk at home yeah. until it's replaced by another new high. Mm-hmm. 
And you're right. They're going to be very sad most of the time because yeah. it's not back at its old high. Yeah. You can you can invest however the heck you want to. You're still going to be disappointed. It's so it's not a reflection of you having a bad approach or a bad strategy. And and like I understand it because it's human nature to look at that and see the high value, get excited by it, and remember it. But like you got to be able to look at that information and then also consider the bigger picture and the fact that you're not going to see a new all-time high each and every month or week. Or Honestly, even, I, I you don't that, have to see one every single year in the market. We're not promised anything. I think one of the one of the best exercises would be to remind people to take out your statement from March of 2020. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, I think I think contextually, like uh, if if you could, you know, scratch the itch of looking at the account and seeing your new all-time high while also maintaining just the awareness of of yeah, wh- maybe where you were a year or two or three, like looking on those long-term you know basis sort of approaches too, just to see like oh man, I mean yeah, maybe maybe we're a couple percent off the high here. We showed a a loss on the last monthly statement, but like holy crap, uh, you know. A year or two ago, this account was way below where it is now. <laughs> yeah. So don't just don't just print out the all time high page of your account. Print out ten years ago statement, five years ago statement, yeah. March twenty twenty bottom statement, and the all time high statement, and yeah. keep those all side by side yeah. on your desk, along with a bowl of ice cream. Yeah. So it's gonna be okay. <laughs> I'm just thinking too, like like your point about like if the if the market were to stay in place for a number of months here, or maybe like the rest of this year. I mean, if you looked at the end of this year and then took the 2019, 2020 and 2021 period, you know, all those years of, uh, you know, returns across it. Like it's been a nice period of time. And so, yeah, it'll, it'll stink if like, if we got to mid 2021 and then flatlined through the end of the year, but like that three year period is something that any investor would sign up for. Like the annualized return over that period of time is bonkers. Like you would, you would, you would never, you would never anticipate uh, getting returns like yeah. that over a three-year stretch. And yeah. so I think anybody has to be pretty happy with returns over that period of time as long as they've been doing something reasonable. Yeah, definitely agree with that. Interesting interesting to see that it, it's officially doubled and, you know, we're, we're moving on. We'll see if it continues to have this divergence that we've seen over the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, we're going to stay on top of things as we move into the second half of 2021 and i think that's gonna be it for episode 365 thanks again for listening and we will see you on episode 366 tom maluli is an investment advisor representative with maluli asset management all opinions expressed by tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of maluli asset management This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.